The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive! To deep right! Away! Back! Score! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, and we're coming off the longest day of the summer. In a couple of weeks, the Major League Baseball season will officially be at the halfway point as the Reds and the Indians both enter tonight's play. The Reds are off. The Indians are playing Detroit, and right now they're down 6-3. to Not unusual when they play Detroit this year. 32-36, and both teams are this year uh, already, so that means they've played 68 games so 13 more games, they'll have 81, and that'll be the halfway point. And uh, you would think that a lot of teams would be able to figure out what they've got. But the big story today had to do with Pete Rose, and we're going to get into that in just a second. Mark, as we head down south, let's bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I am well, David, and uh, I'm anxious to uh, hear your opinion on this Pete Rose thing. Well, I, you can probably imagine what what my opinion is and we've been publicizing it all day today on social media you can send us an email at dmitch at ultimate sports com, or you can also uh, send me a tweet if you've got an opinion on this and we've got some people that have sent me opinions all throughout the day mark at ohbb co-host that's my twitter address but let's get right into it because espn reported today that pete rose through new documents obtained by Outside the Lines, a TV show on ESPN, indicate that Rose bet extensively on baseball and on the Cincinnati Reds as he racked up the last hits of a record-smashing career in 1986. Now, these documents go beyond the evidence presented in the 1989 Dowd Report, according to Outside the Lines and this report that led to Rose's banishment and provide the first written record that Rose bet while he was still on the field. Mark, before I go into this report by T.J. Quinn, as he did it on ESPN, we've got this on audio tonight. First of all, your thoughts when this first came out. I wasn't surprised, and, and, and frankly, I don't think Major League Baseball is surprised, because Dowd had said during the investigation, he just couldn't prove it. He was not able to gain access to the report that was released today uh, that was 20-some years ago. But there was a strong suspicion of what that contained. So I don't think baseball, Major League Baseball anyway, would be surprised by this event. Um, if they are surprised, then somebody isn't telling the truth. Either Dowd's not telling the truth or whomever put together the report's not telling the truth. Because I, I don't think Major League Baseball... First of all, they would have never introduced that as evidence unless they had documentation. And they simply were not given access to that. But there had been an independent study done by the FBI into betting. And Dowd was aware of that. And the FBI apparently told Dowd, yeah, Pete Rose bet on baseball. But there was no, there was no collaborate, uh, cooperation of that. So they couldn't put it in a report 
that Major League Baseball filed to the commissioner to get Pete out of baseball. doesn't mean they didn't know about it. But the, the dangling participle here, that let's assume for a moment that baseball did know about it, even though they couldn't put it as evidence. But right now, it's public opinion that's going to sway baseball. And I think while I believe, I believe they, they knew about it, uh, the public didn't know about it. And as a result, that's going to be as damning to Pete as it would as if Major League Baseball did not know about it. Well, again, before we get into this report by T.J. Quinn, I guess the question is, baseball, even if they did know about it, let's just say that you're right, and they, or this report is correct and that baseball didn't know about it. If baseball did know about it, what were they going to do? Put him on double secret probation or something like that because of this? revelation that has come out today that they did what they thought they needed to do. Giamatti did what he thought he needed to do, and that was ban him for life. Yeah, and uh, even that's, my point was they didn't need the fact that he did bet on his own team. They didn't need that. They had enough evidence to ban Pete from baseball just in what they did have and what they could prove. So I believe they knew about it anyway, but they didn't need it. And Pete was going to, you know, it doesn't matter if you bet on your own team or you bet on somebody else's team. You can't bet on baseball. And Pete did. And they had him there. So while I think they would have, it would have made their case stronger if they could have gotten evidence that Pete bet on the Reds, Major League Baseball back in 1987 didn't need that to get Pete banned from baseball. Well, as I said, T.J. Quinn of ESPN reported this afternoon on Outside the Lines, and I'm not going to bring you the entire report, but I'll bring you about a minute of this on what his findings were, and then he spoke with the baseball investigator at the time, John Dowd. Let's listen to this. The evidence pages copied from a notebook seized by the U.S. Postal Inspection Service in October 1989. A raid on the home of former Rose associate Michael Bertolini uncovered these records of bets Bertolini allegedly placed on Rose's behalf with mob-connected bookmakers from March through July of 1986. John Dowd. We didn't have the records of Michael Bertolini. He refused to give them to us, so we never had Bertolini's betting records. We were able to get a hold of a copy of that Bertolini notebook. We showed the pages we obtained to John Dowd who conducted baseball's investigation into Rose. I recognize Bertolini's handwriting from other documents. It fits with the timeline that we had that he was betting. This is the final piece of the puzzle. I mean, this is, this is it. This does it. This closes the door. And, of course, betting while he was a player. You know, you would listen to Dowd there, Mark, especially that last portion of that cut, where he said, this is the final piece, this shuts the door. Basically saying that that shuts the door to Pete ever entering the Hall of Fame. But you would think the way that he reacted to those documents in this report, he had absolutely no idea that they even existed. I, that, that's not what I read. Now, there could be other sources out there with different stories. What I read earlier today was, that Major League Baseball and the FBI and Pete's people, they everybody knew that Pete bet on the Reds. They just didn't have any paper documentation, and that Bertolini refused to give them any information. But 
again, I don't think this was a surprise to Dow, to Major League Baseball, to anybody today, the revelation that it was uh, that, that Pete bet on the Reds. I, I, I don't think they, they could have, with all the research they did and the investigation they did, they had to have known that. They just couldn't prove it. But again, they didn't have to. That's not the issue. What's going to hurt Pete and probably prohibit Pete from doing anything in Major League Baseball is public opinion now. The public has not heard or heard the the finality of this until now. And that's going to weigh heavily on Manfred's um, decision on whether to let Pete in the Hall of Fame or in the baseball. I don't think he can do it. Well, and the thing about it is is that Pete's attorney, uh, Raymond Jenko, through, through the lawyer, Rose issued a statement today saying, since we submitted the application earlier this year, we committed to Major League Baseball that we would not comment on specific matters relating to reinstatement. I need to maintain that. To be sure, I'm eager to sit down with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred to address my entire history, the good and the bad, and my long personal journey since baseball. That meeting likely will come sometime after the All-Star break. Therefore, at this point, it's not appropriate to comment on any specifics. That was basically, in a nutshell, what Pete's statement was today. And quite honestly, I've got to believe that Manfred and maybe Selig, I've got to believe Selig and Manfred, let me just put it this way, both knew about this and are not surprised whatsoever. No, I agree. And I think that's absolutely true. But they may be afraid of public opinion. Like I said, this is the first time you and I have heard the definitive proof that Pete bet on the Reds, at least, of course, according to the evidence. And But I think that statement says a lot, frankly. I think Pete is now throwing himself on the mercy of the court, which is Manfred, and he's saying, yeah, I screwed up and I made some mistakes. That was a long time ago. <clears throat> I'm a different person now. No matter what I did back then, I'm a different person. And that's going to be his case. And at some point, Pete's going to have to face the press, and somebody's going to ask, Pete, is that true? Did you bet on the Reds? And what if I was Pete, what I would say is, yes, I did, and everybody knew I did, including Major League Baseball. So I, I don't think the decision to reinstate Pete is going to be one that is based on MLB being surprised. It's going to be what people, baseball fans, say, and other and former major league players say. And if, in my opinion is they're going to be up in arms, and Pete's not going to get into either. <clears throat> and like you said, there is a lot of public opinion going on right now, and these are some of the comments that I've received from all over the country. Um, here's one from Jopia Spider, who said that he's already disgraced, Pete has already disgraced, he should just confess and deal with the fact that the Baseball Hall of Fame will never have his name in it. Well, I'm not quite sure where he's coming from with that because Pete has already confessed to what has going on. Another person, Jason Diamond, says that Pete Rose does belong in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, over 4,000 hits. He placed a bet 28 years ago on his team to win. That does a lot less damage than players in the Hall already did. Uh, Sidney Jezerick comes out and said, He lied about it for years. Rules are rules. He doesn't deserve the Hall of Fame. He broke the golden rule. A lifetime ban is a lifetime ban. 
being a great player doesn't make it right. Well, Mark, and, and there are some other comments that I can go into here in just a little bit as far as what they're saying about Pete Rose. But some of these comments, I don't think a lot of people were even alive when Pete Rose was playing, to be honest with you. And some of these comments, I've got to believe they were from people that never saw Pete Rose play, never went through the investigation, never knew what was involved in that situation. I mean, it was all the way back in 1986, 87, and 88 that baseball went through this. Bart Giamatti, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Mark, that investigation killed him. If you ask Faye Vincent, he'll tell you that investigation killed Bart Giamatti. That's how much pressure there was on Major League Baseball and on Pete Rose at the time that this went on. The the A-Rod situation, the Ryan Braun situation, the Johnny Peralta situation, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, that didn't hold a candle, I don't believe, to what was going on in baseball when Pete was undergoing this investigation. But when you look at this entire thing as ESPN would like to say, let's look at the body of work, Mark. You cannot say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that no matter what Pete Rose did, he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You just cannot say that and understand the game of baseball. Let me ask you a question. If Stan Musial was found, after the fact, to have beat his wife, uh, to have used drugs, and had bet on baseball. Is, are they going to kick him out of the Hall of Fame? No. And let's take that one step further. Let's talk about somebody. Let, let's not deal on assumptions. Let's talk about somebody that it's practically a known fact that he killed somebody, Ty Cobb. He's well, in the he Hall did. of Fame. <laughs> what, what about, let, let's, let's expand it, Mark. Let's go away from baseball. Let's go into the NFL Hall of Fame. You got O.J. Simpson in there. You've got Paul Horning in there, who was suspended for a year for gambling. You've got Alex Karras, that a lot of people believe should be in the NFL Hall of Fame. Well, there, there's so much confusion, I think, as to what a Hall of Fame is. And, and the young lady or the lady who made the comment that Pete doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, I think that is absolutely wrong. There are so many people you and I could could talk about. Pete, Ty Cobb was an avowed racist. He 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 beat people up. He he was a jerk. He was accused of throwing baseball games along with Trina Speaker. Uh, so many guys in that Hall of Fame were, were really far worse people than Pete Rose. Pete made a stupid mistake, and he's he's lived long enough that he's endured nearly thirty years of harassment over this thing. And enough is enough. But aside from that, the Hall of Fame and being back into baseball are two entirely different things. It's the body of work that puts you into the Hall of Fame. And Pete Rose, it, it, you, you cannot have a Hall of Fame if you don't have Pete Rose in it. All you have to do is next to his picture or his plaque, you say, here is what happened historically to Pete Rose. Pete Rose was a—he's the hit king. He has more hits than anybody in the world in Major League Baseball. He's got to be in the Hall of Fame. But here's what he did wrong. So, the Hall of Fame, in and of itself, as as a destination, should be a non-issue. And that's what I—that's what I will never agree with Major League Baseball about—is—is is this subjective characterization of people, 
and and you could argue that and I don't know the the how much steroids had to do with Barry Bonds hitting the home runs he hit or Mark McGuire or Rafael Palmero. We'll never know because you can't prove that how how much that had an impact on their performance. But you could certainly argue that those guys and their use of steroids changed the internal measurement of talent in the game more than anybody else. And, and, and the other thing we don't know is how many players weren't caught and how, Correct. how their performance impacted the game. Pete didn't impact the game. He impacted Pete. And that's the tragedy of this is, is the personal story of Pete Rose. But his ability to be in the Hall of Fame should not be impacted by what he did. Mark, there is one thread that goes through everybody's opinion. Everybody's opinion. Nobody can. Nobody seems to be able to separate the fact that Pete Rose was banned from baseball, not from the Hall of Fame, banned from baseball. It's the writers and the stupid rule that the Hall of Fame has put in there that if you're not eligible to be an employee of Major League Baseball, that you're not eligible to go into the Hall of Fame. Well, people don't remember because they're not old enough to remember, when Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays were basically banned and missed a year or two of going into the Hall of Fame, if you remember, because they were working for a casino out in Las Vegas. That's right. That's Again, that's just another example of the hypocrisy and the inconsistency of, of Major League Baseball as it relates to the Hall of Fame. And until somebody has the guts to go in there and make those changes... This kind of ridiculous, it, it's going to happen again. You're going to have a player, I'm just going to pick one out of my head here. Uh, let's say it is uh, uh, Joey Votto. Joey Votto continues his career, which is certainly a Hall of Fame uh, on its on his face right now. And we just find out someday that, that Joey Votto violated some social moray or did something he shouldn't have done. And somebody says, well, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Where does it stop? It should be statistical only. And that's the thing I wish Manfred would, would step up and say, that this is not going to be something that I am going to subjectively rule on. If Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, that's up to the Hall of Fame, not Major League Baseball. And that's the problem, that Manfred nor Selig would do. They wouldn't step up to the plate, so to speak, and say, this is what has to happen. You know, you asked me what my opinion of this was, Mark, and, and I'm going to get into it right now, and I'd like to get your opinion on what I'm going to say here. Because I'm going to go back, and I'm going to blame ESPN somewhat on this. You know, ESPN, over the past few years, has become the national inquirer of sports reporting. They're not sports reporters anymore. They're going out and getting gotcha reporting. That's what ESPN wants. They want that type of thing that's going to grab you by the nap of your neck and bring you in with sensationalism. I call it hate reporting, sensationalism reporting. They do it with the city of Cleveland constantly, and I hear it all the time. And, Mark, you know, I talked with Greg Mitchell, our producer, earlier today, and I'm going to give him credit for this. This smacks of ESPN going after another network's Baseball expert. Because remember, Pete Rose is Fox Sports' 
baseball expert now. He just underwent that job. We talked about it a couple of months ago, Mark, that he got the job with Major League Baseball, and both you and I thought maybe that opened the door a little bit because we knew MLB had to approve him to get that position. And they did. They admitted they approved him for it. And we both thought maybe that was the way that he was going to come in. To me and to Greg and to other people out there that I've gotten tweets from here today, this just smacks of ESPN trying to discredit another network's baseball consultant and expert. And you know what? I'm sick of ESPN. I really am. This is a report that you know they had to have. They had to catch wind of it. And now, as it's coming up close to the All-Star Game, in the city of Cincinnati, the city that loves Pete Rose, the city that wants Pete Rose reinstated and in the Hall of Fame, what does ESPN do? They turn around and they release this report, which you and I both agree means absolutely nothing, except to the, the normal Joe Schmo on the street that really doesn't understand baseball whatsoever, or some of the yin-yangs that are up in Cleveland running morning talk show, like a Kevin Kiley on 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. He's one of these guys that will take this report and run to the world with it because he knows all about baseball because he's the fan of a team that's won 27 world championships. Mark, this is the type of thing that I think is just sensationalized reporting. I'm going to get political here. Fox News does it with politics. ESPN does it with sports. And they both have the same hiring technique. Get the big bosom blondes to get in there and report the news and the sports. There I've had my say. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I didn't think that uh, Fox had to go to MLB to get approval on their announcers. Uh, if that's true, uh, it's the first time I've heard that. And they maybe out of courtesy went to Fox and said, or went to uh, MLB and said, hey, we're going to have Pete Rose here deal with it. And Major League Baseball probably said that's okay. But I don't think any, any organization, any news organization, would have to go to MLB to get approval for their for their announcers. That, that would now, be now. Now let me let me just let me just say this on that. Okay, just very quickly. Remember, there's a clause in every broadcast of every game that these announcers are hired by the team with permission of Major League Baseball. Just keep that in mind. And Fox Sports is a contracted member of the media with Major League Baseball. And I do remember Rob Manfred coming out and saying he did give his blessing to Pete being hired by Fox. Well, that's different than approval. And, again, Fox is an independent news agency, and they're not going to require MLB to approve it or not. I mean, maybe if MLB screamed and yelled and said, no, we don't want to do that, they may make a business decision not to do it. I, I, would, I would agree with that. But I don't think they need MLB's permission. In fact, I, I'm almost certain that they would not have any kind of provision in there that they can. And now, if it's a team, like a local team, they have, like with, with the Reds, you have Tom Brenneman and you have Chris Welsh uh, on the TV broadcast most of the time. And, yeah, I think the teams have to approve that because in some degree they're, I, I think they actually work for the teams, but on network, uh, I'm not sure they need approval to do that. I'd be interested to find out the, the nuances of that. But that aside, uh, I think MLB has more information, has had more information about this Pete Rose thing than they let on over the last 25, 30 years. And I, I agree with you. ESPN 
it's such a different network than it was, you know, back in the in the 80s and 90s when they were in their heyday. Uh, you're right. It has become a like a what's that TMCZ or whatever that that uh, news show, quote unquote. Uh, I'm, I'm really disappointed because that's not the way ESPN used to be, and now it's all for you know who can they nab uh, in a bar with some you know in a strip joint or whatever that seems to be their their storyline these days. How can we nail a player, get him in trouble? Well, and yesterday, Mark on on Sports Center, and again, I don't want to get this into it an ESPN bashing, but let's just talk about the hypocrisy of the network. Sarah Walsh yesterday during SportsCenter, yesterday morning, Sunday morning, is talking with Tim Kirchin, who's their ESPN baseball analyst, about the fact that A-Rod hit the home run for his 3,000th career hit, and Zach Hample, the 37-year-old guy from New York City, who is a collector, caught the ball and refuses to give the ball back out of the graciousness of his heart to A-Rod, or to the New York Yankees. Sarah Walsh went on a tirade of 30 seconds yesterday morning. You can look this up on YouTube or look it up on ESPN.com. And she is upset that Hample won't give that ball back to A-Rod. She's a Yankee fan, and she thinks that the morality, that that Hample should have the morality to give that ball back to A-Rod. Well, Mark, the first question that popped into my head was, where were the morals when A-Rod was taking steroids? And where was ESPN? Boy, all we saw during the spring was A-Rod coming up to bat for batting practice. A-Rod's first at bat in spring training. A-Rod coming up to bat first time in Yankee Stadium. A-Rod's first at bat on the road. That's all we saw on ESPN. They would break into local programming and show that. I really didn't care about A-Rod. I know you really didn't care. I didn't want my Indians game interrupted by A-Rod coming up to the plate against the Toronto Blue Jays. I know you didn't care about seeing A-Rod up to the plate against anybody and interrupting a Reds game or interrupting a, a, a program of whatever ESPN was showing at the time. I really didn't care. I could care less if A-Rod's in baseball. But that's the hypocrisy that ESPN has. They're against Pete Rose. They're for a rod. That's what they Let's are. Let's go back to the to the uh, announcer you mentioned. I don't know. I forget her name already. Sarah Walsh. Sarah Walsh. Uh, the first thing I think of when I hear that statement is idiot. Uh, this guy is a baseball collector. If I caught that game, that that ball, I wouldn't give it back. It's history, and that's why you go to a ball game in many cases to find get a ball. Why would he give it back? Number one. Right. Uh, a rod's made hundreds. Of millions of dollars in baseball, and if he can't afford to pay the guy for that ball or doesn't want to pay for the guy, that's up to him. But that guy caught the ball fair and square and deserves it. So first of all, she doesn't pass the immediate idiot test. It, secondly, with regard to A Rod, uh, you and I have disagreed about steroids from the get go. Uh, I've never been of the mind that steroids can have that kind of impact on a player's performance. There's too many other variables involved in this. We don't know how long they have taken them. We don't know to what degree other players have taken them. And because of that inconclusiveness, I've never been of the opinion that it can enhance a player's abilities that much. I don't care how strong you are. 
you've got to hit a ball hard on the screws to hit a home run, whether you hit it 450 feet or 550 feet. So I played enough baseball to know it, 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 a lot of that stuff, you're not gonna, your, your performance is not going to be enhanced enough unless you have a whole bunch of ability. So that on its face I disagree with in terms of the impact steroids has. But lastly, ESPN, they are no longer a sports agency. They are a, an agency looking for the story. They're, not, they, they're looking for stuff outside the lines, and that's what their story is called. Uh, I think that's the program this, this thing with Pete Rose will appear on. And that's the disappointing part, that we've lost that, I guess it's naive to say the innocence of sports has now morphed into all these uh, these undercover stories and and the, the hope that they can catch somebody doing the wrong thing. And I think that's what's happened to Pete. It's happened to a lot of athletes. Well, the thing that drove me up a, up a wall about Sarah Walsh was the fact that she's a reporter. She is an anchor person on a sports newscast. Newscast being the proper term. It's not a commentary. It's not the sports reporters. It is not some morning talk show host like Mike and Mike on ESPN. No, this is Sports Center. She's reporting the sports news for the day. She's not a columnist or a commentator. And she removed herself from the reporter's chair and made herself a part of the story. And that's what upset me. And that's what upsets me about journalism today, Mark. This is a commentary show. This is an opinion show. So is my show on Thursday night, Ultimate Sports Talk. It's an opinion show. But when I'm doing a broadcast, when I'm doing a ball game, you're talking about the game. You're giving a verbal description of the game. But in this show, we're giving a commentary. If you're doing an update, you're going over the results. You're going over the facts, not your comments, not your opinions. It's the wrong place, wrong time for it. Hey, one other thing about the Pete Rose thing before we move on. Yeah. Uh, to put this in perspective, MLB lists their top stories every day. You go in there and you can see what they, that, what they consider their top stories. The Pete Rose story was ranked 10th on their list of important stories. Now, I, I think that may put in perspective the story behind the story, that most people associated with Major League Baseball knew what Pete did, and I think probably the insiders knew what people what Pete did. And for, for MLB to have this ranked uh, below the fact that Johnny Cueto is going to miss his next start. That was above. That was above the Pete Rose story. Uh, I think tells you something about the importance that most media sees in this story. Mark, very quickly, let me just ask you this, and I'll get my opinion on it too. Does this keep Pete out of the Hall of Fame? Yeah, probably, because I think, as I said before, it's the public opinion, not MLB opinion. They knew about it. It's the public's reaction to this that will raise a, a real stench uh, with a lot of people. And I don't think Manfred will risk uh, having that kind of thing thrown in his face. I agree with you. I think this is exactly what John Dowd said on that report that I just played. This slams the door shut on the Hall of Fame. And I will say this again. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it one more time, and I'll say it until he enters the Hall. 
the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown is not the Hall of Fame until Pete Rose is in it. So there, there is our opinion on that. Mark, the Reds 32 and 36, the Indians 32 and 36. Ironically, they both got the same record. The Reds are 12 and a half games in fourth place behind St. Louis. The Indians are in fourth place. They're eight games behind Kansas City. They're two and a half games behind Detroit. Mark, this Indians team, they've, they've just got me in a tizzy. So let's start out with the Reds tonight. First of all, two players I want to talk to you about on the Reds. Johnny Cueto. Is it an arm injury, or are they just holding him back, anticipating a trade? Well, it, who knows? Uh, the Reds never <clears throat> tell the press the truth. <clears throat> they never, uh, not the truth, they, they certainly hold back stories. If the Reds, here's, here's the problem. The Reds are only four and a half games back of the second wild card game spot. And that's that's probably intriguing to Bob Castellini. Bob Castellini is a guy who wants to win. I respect him for that. He's a guy who I believe he wears his heart on his sleeve with regard to this team. And he's a rich guy, but he's a guy who, who's a baseball fan. And he sees the team's only four and a half games back of the wild card. And they have, they've had a lot of tough luck the first half of the year. Are they going to overcome? Uh, they'd have to catch Pittsburgh. That uh, they'd have to catch uh, Chicago. Can they do that? I don't know. Uh, my cold-blooded opinion is the Reds ought to trade Cueto, and him being held back did raise a red flag to me that maybe a trade is imminent and that they didn't want to risk him being injured and not having that trade go through. Well, and the Yankees, as I'm seeing reports, have scouted his last three starts, which would lead me to believe that there's got to be something brewing there between the Reds and the Yankees, because the Yankees are not going to send out scouts to especially see Johnny Cueto unless they feel they've got a good shot at getting him. Well, that may be true, but John Fay reported today, just about two or three hours ago, that the Reds have decided, at least internally, that they're not going to make any deal until the All-Star break, uh, because they, they think they can still catch uh, Chicago and Pittsburgh. Now, it's pretty interesting, if they were to sweep Pittsburgh this week, they start tomorrow night against Pittsburgh, then they got four games against Miami. If they were to sweep Pittsburgh uh, and edge closer to that wild card, that might have a big determining factor, be a big determining factor on whether or not the Reds make a bunch of trades. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, I saw that same report, and John Fay also said, along with John Morosi, that the Reds are not even close to trading Araldis Chapman. He's not on anybody's radar right now, according to their sources. Yeah, but if you go back a week or so, uh, there was a, I forget who wrote it, but there was a report about the L.A. Dodgers and what they would do if they had Chapman and they had uh, Cueto. And teaming up with a team like the Dodgers, who can give you a lot of talent in return, is intriguing, but... The other intriguing uh, rumor I heard was uh, Chapman going to the Nationals. And that may be something that has a little more uh, bite to it, only because the Nationals are loaded in their farm system. They could, they could really give the Reds a lot in return, including some guys who can throw 100 miles an hour. But did you see the Reds game yesterday? Uh, some of it. not Not a lot of it, but some of it. Well, in the ninth inning, the Reds, I think the Reds were ahead, what, 5-2 to two going into the ninth inning. 
and uh, there was a an error by Frazier. There was a dinker into right field that Bruce Smith played for a hit, and then Chapman walked the next guy. Bases loaded, nobody out. Uh, the next, I think, the next eleven fastballs he threw were 101 miles an hour and above. They didn't have a chance. And if he is, what he can do for a contending team is put them in the World Series. And that is going to be a very, very uh, tempting deal for both the team that gets Chapman and the Reds. Because a team like the Dodgers or uh, the Nationals or Detroit, or just pick your team that's a competitor, to have Chapman in that ninth inning, it's worth a lot of money and it's worth a lot of talent. Devin Mazzarocco, the other player I wanted to discuss. He's out for the year. They're expecting him to have surgery on next Monday, June 29th. Now, is he going to be able to come back, Mark, and be a catcher, or is this going to permanently move him out from behind the plate? Every report I have seen indicates that this is a relatively minor procedure. Now, I've never had a hip impingement, so I don't know how I can't testify to how minor it is, but everything I've read is that he'll be able to come back, and by spring training, he'll be 100%. And imagine what the Reds would have this year, uh, given the year that uh, Frazier's having, if you had Mesoraco in that lineup hitting fourth. That would be a scary lineup. And, you know, I I hope the Reds on the offensive side can keep things together until the pitching is healthy next year because I think they can be competitive. But the, the, the good thing about injuries for a team, and there aren't many good things, but the good thing is, you get to look at a lot of your younger players, guys who wouldn't get a chance. And that's what's happening with the Reds this year. They're, they're, they're getting a look at some guys who normally wouldn't be playing. Well, the Reds had a good week. They finished 4-2 and two last week. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians, they did not have a good week. Not not at all. They were 3-5 and five during the past week. And in their last seven games, Mark, you talk about sometimes the Reds having an anemic offense. Listen to these totals for the Indians. In their last seven games, excluding tonight, in which they've scored three runs tonight, they scored only 14 runs. But of those 14 runs, six of them came in one, and four of them came in another. They only scored four runs in the other five games. And this weekend against Tampa Bay, which I went to the game yesterday, they scored three runs total, one Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they managed to win yesterday's game one to nothing behind Cody Anderson, whom they brought up. He's a 24-year-old that worked into the eighth inning yesterday for the first time in his professional career, Mark. His professional career, that includes the minor leagues. The righty logged seven and two-thirds innings yesterday, scattering six, striking out four, and he issued one walk in his 94-pitch effort. And afterwards, here's what he had to say about his outing. And as soon as I can get this, my tape recorder just turned off. But here's what he had to say about his outing. Couldn't really feel my body. <laughs> Couldn't feel the ball. Um, just knew I had to throw strikes, and, and that's what I was mainly focused on, was just pounding the strike zone, and, and eventually was able to settle down and start working the bottom zone. Uh, yeah, I think Berto uh, was uh, wanting me to really work the fastball the first, first uh, inning or two um, to be able to you know, find the command, find the release point. Um, everybody knew there was going to be a lot of adrenaline going on. And they worked out. Yeah, that was that was also you know something else. Uh, I don't think I've pitched in the eighth inning in pro ball yet. 
Um, I think that was my first time, so it was definitely very special and, and, and felt very good. Anytime you're in a, a big stadium for the first time, I, I think the adrenaline takes over and you don't really get as fatigued as, as normal. Mark, I want to ask your opinion about this because I've seen this happen, and I think you and I have discussed this over the first couple of years of the program. This drives me crazy. Yesterday in the eighth inning, I had absolutely no problems with Terry Francona removing Cody Anderson from the game because Tampa Bay had the runner at third base. There were two outs, and Evan Longoria was coming to the plate. Now, everybody knows he's their big RBI guy. So, And then behind Longoria is David DeJesus, a left-handed hitter. The Indians had Zipchinski, a lefty, and Brian Shaw, a righty, in the bullpen. Francona comes to the mound, takes out Anderson, and brings in Zipchinski. And his first batter is Longoria. And what does he have Zipchinski do? Intentionally walk Longoria to get to David DeJesus. Now, a couple things happened here. First of all, that just drives me crazy. Why do you bring in a relief pitcher, Mark, to intentionally walk somebody? Well, in my opinion, you do it because you want them to get used to the mound and it's an extra four pitches and they can they can see you know see what's going on. I can I kind of understand that uh, if the other guy walks him, uh, then you have the, the the relief pitcher coming in first and third. You know, I can I can understand I guess and sympathize with each side of that argument. But if I was the relief pitcher coming in, I'd want to walk that guy just to get a feel for the mound and, uh, you know, get my feet wet out there. I might be able to understand that argument if it was the visiting team. What difference would that make? Because Zipchinski better be used to the mound at Progressive Field. He's been there for now. For, this is his third year. Yeah, but every time you come into a game, it's a different vibe. And uh, I, I know a lot of – I've heard that argument back and forth. And, I, again, I could defend either one of them, but I don't think it is, um, you know, it's going to be a, a deal breaker for the pitcher either way, frankly. Well, then the second thing that I thought was interesting was on the Tampa Bay side, David DeJesus is hitting 300. He's got 32 RBIs on the year. He's their cleanup hitter. And after they intentionally walked Longoria, they pinch hit for their cleanup hitter and brought in a guy that was hitting 145 with three RBIs on the year because he's a right-handed hitter. Have we gotten to the age of baseball, Mark, where we're overthinking things and this righty-lefty whole thing has just taken on a new life of its own? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, you know, the, the statistical part of this thing has really overshadowed what used to be called your gut. And sometimes you, you send a guy up there just because you think he matches well, whether it's left or right. And i got to tell you, again, being a player, uh, it – it never bothered me if it was a left-hander or a right-hander. I didn't care. Uh, you, you see the ball, you hit the ball. Now, there are some guys that are just overpowered by, say, say your left-hand hitter, and they're overpowered by left-handers all the time. And ironically, you have a guy like Jay Bruce who has hit more home runs off left-handers than any player in baseball. And it, it's you, you can't explain it, but Jay Bruce has more trouble with right-handers. So, uh, so much of it is statistical, so, and even the statistics sometimes don't make sense. They, they don't add up. And the the idea that the manager used to sit there and think, you know what, I think Dave Mitchell can hit that guy, and I'm going to send him up there to do it because I think he's the guy. That seems to have the, – the, the stats give 
the manager cover. If he just relies on the stats, he doesn't have to make a decision. He just goes to the computer and says, well, Dave Mitchell is the guy because the stats say so. I can't be wrong. So if you make it out, it's not his fault. It's the it's your fault and the computer's fault. Yeah, I agree with you. I just don't think there's much gut managing anymore. Everybody, and, and I really believe, Mark, there's only one gut manager in baseball today. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the only gut manager, if, if you want to call him that, is Buck Showalter in Baltimore. Oh, I think there's another one. I think Joe Madden is. I think Joe Madden is, is, a, is a gut guy, and I, I like Joe Madden. And I, I think I like the way he manages. I like his relationship with his players. It's much more personal than other managers I have seen. So I, I think he's a guy that uh, Showalter and Madden are, are two different kinds of guys. The younger guys, and I'll put Joe Price or um, Brian Price into that category. They're very, very statistically oriented, and I think it's even more prominent when you have a younger general manager, like the Cubs do and the Red Sox do. These guys, they live and die on the stats, and they they expect their manager to do the same. No, I would agree with you. Yeah, I, I, Joe Madden slipped my mind, but I would agree with you on Joe Madden. I think he's. He's a gut manager, too. But I'll tell you what, there aren't too many others. You might be able to say that Bruce Bochy is one, but uh, those are about the only three that you can come back with and talk about it. But this Indians team, Mark, I've seen them a couple of times live over the last couple of weeks, and, and I've watched them a lot on TV. They just don't have the it factor. And, you know, you can't describe what it is but when you see a team that has it you know what it is and this team just doesn't have it and the gm chris antonetti mark i'm i'm just at, at my wits end over the indians front office chris antonetti made this comment yesterday we're still learning about our team we're still trying to find out where we'll need to supplement I just said at the top of the show, this team has played 68 games, 13 more games than you're halfway through the season. You're in fourth place. You're eight games behind Kansas City. You're four games under 500. You can't beat Detroit. You're two and seven against Detroit this year. Miguel Cabrera is batting 657 against the Indians this year. I can tell you, Mr. Antonetti, what type of team you've got. It's a losing team. It is a team that cannot contend in the American League Central. And if Chris Antonetti thinks him coming out with this kind of comment is going to take people through the turnstiles, he's crazy, Mark. Well, you know, there's only one team every year that wins the World Series. And there's only, what, uh, six teams that make the playoffs. Or seven, I forget what the number is. But there's only a handful of teams that make the playoffs. And if that's the case, there are going to be a preponderance of teams that suffer under the, the kind of year that the Reds and the Indians are having. I think there, there's only a couple teams that go out there every year and will do anything to try and win. I think the Dodgers are one. I think the Cardinals are one. It used to be the Yankees. But, Dave, it's, it seems so obvious to me that these, these organizations accept 
accept the ebb and flow of, well, we'll be competitive for a couple of years. If we make the playoffs, fine. Then we're going to be down for a few years and reload. Oh, preach it, brother. Do what? <laughs> preach it. Yeah. So, You're right. Uh, you look at Houston and Chicago, two examples, Houston and Chicago, and even Boston. Houston decided three or four years ago, we're going to be lousy for five years. So fans, hang with it. The Cubs made that decision several years ago. So did the Pirates. And now these teams are back on top. The Reds tried that. They got to the playoffs, but they did not win the World Series. They never even made it to the World Series to win. So they either miscalculated or it just didn't work. But it seems like these teams almost take turns in terms of who's up and who's down. Look at Kansas City. For decades, were lousy. But four or five years ago, they decided, okay, enough of this stuff. We're just going to go for draft choices. We're going to finish last, and we're going to go. We're going to get some great talent, and they did. And look what's happening to Kansas City. So it's what scares me about the Reds. I don't know enough about the Indians to make the comment, but what scares me about the Reds is they they have not accepted the fact that they're not going to win this year, and they have a chance to really load up on some talent with some some great young talent they can trade that, th- that would put this team in playoff contention. In, in two or three or four years, and they refuse to do that. You know, what bothers me, Mark, about the Indians, and I agree with what you said about the Reds, and what bothers me about the Indians is the fact that you can have the greatest farm system in the world. You can be the St. Louis Cardinals. You can be a team that is going to bring up player after player in the Washington Nationals. They're doing it. You know, we're talking about the Houston Astros bringing up players. But the thing about it is, Mark, you got to pull the trigger on these players. You can't let these players stay in the minor leagues year after year after year and keep telling your fans, just be patient, just wait. When you're throwing out on the field year after year the Lonnie Chisenhalls and the Juan Ramirez's, the Jose Ramirez's, excuse me, the Esdrubal Cabrera's of the world, when, you, when you've got guys like this, you've got nobody right now in center field. You're hamstrung with the Bourne contract and the Swisher contract. I'll admit it. Swisher, that contract is going to come back to haunt the Indians. I, I'm, I'm starting to drink your Kool-Aid now. This, this is what's going to happen. But this team, Mark, that the Indians have is a bunch of punch and Judy hitters. They don't have anybody. They rely on Carlos Santana to be their cleanup man, Mark. He's batting 203. He's got more walks this year than RBIs and home runs combined. This guy won't swing at pitches. And when he does swing at a pitch, his swing is so long, his bat goes from Cincinnati to Cleveland. He cannot hit a curveball. And we have sat there and watched this guy year after year after year, waiting for him to figure out how to hit the baseball. And he just can't do it. They've got two guys on this team that are decent major league ball players: Jason Kipnis and Michael Brantley. That's it. Lindor has played well since he's come up. Urshela has played well since he's come up. They've got a decent catcher in Jan Gomes. The rest of this team, Mark, you could just throw them into a bag, shake them up, and throw them out onto the field, and it wouldn't matter who you got out there. It really wouldn't. And Chris Antonetti wants to sit back and say that. 
we don't know the type of team we've got? Mark, it's the same team they've had the last two years. They can't hit. So what do you do? You blow it up. You've got the best pitching. I, I think they've got one of the best pitching staffs in baseball right now. I really do. And if Cody Anderson comes through, and that's that's another thing that drives me crazy, Mark, is, is the managing of Terry Francona. You know, I like Francona, but I can see now why Boston wanted him out. I really can. I can understand after a while when you watch this guy manage. We've got a game tonight, Mark, in Detroit that the last I knew the score was 6-3, to three, Detroit was winning it. Now, I'm going to check the score while I'm talking here just to kind of get an idea as to w- what the score is. But this is a series that the Indians are coming into that they need to win. We've got Roberto Perez catching, the second string catcher, and we've got Micah Villies out in left field. What are we doing, Mark? I mean, this is a series that we have to win. And right now Detroit is winning the game in the bottom of the seventh inning, 7-3. to three. This is a series that the Indians need to take two out of three at least against the Tigers. They had Trevor Bauer going tonight. And I'm telling you, Mark, you know, I, I go back to what my dad always told me about the 68 Indians. When Louis Tiant made the comment one time as pitcher of the Indians, if I give up one run, we tie. If I give up two runs, we lose. You know, when you're a pitcher, a major league pitcher, and you look at a team that just can't hit and score runs, especially against Tampa Bay where you scored three runs total in a series, you've got to go out there, and that puts more pressure on your arm, more pressure and stress on your mind. You can't be free and easy pitching. You've pitched before. When you know you can't give up any runs, Mark, what does that do to you as a pitcher? Well, it makes you very nervous, but I never gave up any runs, so it didn't bother me. Now, let me go back to my oh, question. Oh, boy, I, had, I choked up on that one. Excuse let me. Let me go back to my question. What would you do? I, You know, I would. first thing I would do is trade Santana. I, I really would. I would trade Santana. I, I'd get what I could out of Swisher and Bourne. I don't care if I, if I get single-A or double-A players. Do whatever I can. If I've got to eat the contract, I've got to eat the contract. But these guys are doing us no good. Put Brantley in center field. Find somebody that can play left field. You know, Brandon Moss is is a great power hitter, but he reminds me of Mark Reynolds, only left-handed. If he doesn't hit a home run, he doesn't get a hit. But we've got to find a first baseman, which I think we've got down in the minor leagues in Aguilar, but they won't bring him up because they're afraid they're going to ruin his psyche for, for whatever reason. You know, left field, you know, David Murphy's hitting the heck out of the baseball. But here's another case where they don't think he can hit left-handers. Even though every time he faces a left-hander this year, he's hitting with a higher batting average against lefties than he is righties. So put him in left field and let him just stay out there. You know, but let, let's go out and let's... It, you've got a pitching staff that, Mark, I swear, if you can find somebody that can lead off for this team and you can play good defensive baseball, I think you could, you, you could play 500 with a bunch of yin-yangs with the guys that they're going to build around in Brantley and Kipnis and, and Lindor and Urshela. But get get rid of some of these guys that just are going to be no good for you in two years. Please. What what did Jason Kipnis hit uh, two years ago and last year? 
Well, actually, two years ago, he had a very good year. He had an all-star year. He he batted. If he if it wasn't close to 300, it was over 300. But then last year, he had the oblique injury, and you know how those go, especially as a batter. You just cannot get over them. You've got to take out at least two months off. And he didn't take that much time off, and it altered his swing. And he ended up hitting about 230, 240 throughout the year. Now, this year, kid's hitting outstanding and playing great defense at second base in the leadoff position. He's batting 335 at last check, maybe 338, and he had a, a two-run double tonight. So he's he's doing a good job at the plate and at second base. You know, the thing, I, the reason I ask that question is, I think the most difficult decision a front office has to make is the long-term evaluation of a player and how patient do you become how, how patient are you with that player as they develop? And I'll, you, you can look at Brandon Phillips as an example. Brandon Phillips, when he was with the Indians, had potential, but they didn't stick with him long enough. Brandon Phillips would still be playing with Cleveland had they waited a year. He, <laughs> he would be a perennial all-star with Cleveland. They didn't wait long enough. You know what and, his problem was with the Indians? It wasn't that they weren't patient. His problem was Eric Wedge did not like him. He didn't like him. Their personalities clashed, and they got rid of him. That was the only yeah. reason they got rid of, of, of Brandon Phillips. Well, I, I don't disagree with that, but whatever the reason, I, I think the most difficult decision is how long do you hang in there with a player? And I, I don't think the Reds or the Indians are, are unique in the fact that, uh, I mean, I look at Todd Frazier. A couple of years ago, Todd Frazier looked like he was so overmatched in, major, in the major leagues. His swing was absurd. He threw him anything on the outer half of the plate, he'd miss it by three feet. And some of the swings were laughable. And now they're talking about this guy, you know, this guy could hit 50 home runs this year. And he's super strong. He's not, he still makes some bad swings sometimes. But, you know, in defense of these organizations, they invest a lot of time and money in these players, and the question is, how long do you hang in there? And that's, and you know, that's you, the most difficult decision the front office has to make. You're right, Mark, but you've got to give these players a chance. With Lonnie Chisholm, I was the biggest fan of Lonnie Chisholm. They didn't give him a chance. I mean, let's go back to last year against Texas when he had the nine RBI game. He had nine RBIs in one game. The next night... He's sitting out because they're facing a left-hander. You can't do that to young kids, Mark. I'm sorry. You know, you, you and I kind of got into it about Lindor a few times. If you're going to play somebody, Mark, if you're going to bring a kid up, play him like the Reds did with Frazier. They didn't go away from him. They didn't deviate. With Lonnie Chisholm, Mark, that's all they did. They got it in their mind that he couldn't hit left-handers, and that was it. And I'll tell you, Mark, why in the world, if a kid gets nine RBIs in one game, I don't care if he got five RBIs in one game, I don't care if he hit two home runs in one game or, or whatever, why would you sit him the next day and just basically tell him, well, yeah, you did that yesterday, but we don't think you can do it again today? Why not ride the guy? Well, I'll tell you, I'm sure this is the explanation. The guy, it, it's the same logic that if a young pitcher comes in and pitches seven innings, he's a rookie, pitches seven innings of shutout baseball, do you send him out for the eighth 
or do you want to have him leave uh, that event with a, with an upbeat feeling? And it could be the same thing what they did with Chisholm. He had a big game, but the next night it's a left-hander. Let's maybe he's going to be overmatched. Let's let him bask in the glow of that great game he had the night before, and then the next night bring him out against a right-hander. I'm I'm not convinced that one game is going to impact Chisholm Hall's career that he didn't play in. I just don't think that's going to have an impact on him. I see your point of riding a hot hand, but with a young player, I think you do have to be careful. Pick your spots. Where can this guy uh, help us the most? But most importantly, how can it, how can we help him? Like bringing in a pitcher uh, to face a slugger, that and that pitcher isn't ready to do that. And he gives up a home run, and now his confidence is shot. I can understand some of that stuff that managers and, and teams have to do. But I don't understand it when you've got a young player and you, you immediately want to platoon him. I guess we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that, as, as we somewhat normally do on certain situations, Mark. But nonetheless, hey, this has been one of our, one of our better shows. What do the Reds have coming up for the rest of this week? Well, they, they have a very, very important week, and it's hard to say that in June, but it is. They're, they're playing Pittsburgh, and again, a, a good series against Pittsburgh, even though now Johnny Cueto has been passed over, and they're bringing up a guy named Josh Smith to pitch tomorrow night. I've heard of him, but I've never seen him pitch. He's going to be a rookie making a debut. And then they have a, uh, Miami over the weekend in uh, Miami. So teams, if they can beat Pittsburgh, they should beat Miami. And, uh, you know, getting closer to 500. Well, the Indians, they've got Detroit tomorrow and then Wednesday afternoon, a businessman special at noon. They're off Thursday, and then they are at Baltimore Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, again, like you said, Mark, it's a very important weekend for both teams as far as that's concerned here in the month of June. And I think both teams, you know, the Reds are only four and a half games out of a wild card spot. I haven't even checked the Indians because right now I'm just kind of fed up with them. I don't think they've got any business being in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Well, I, it's amazing after what the Reds have gone through that they're that close. I looked at it this morning, and I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, they're only, you know, five, I think four games in the loss column out of a wild card, and uh, there's plenty of games left. You know, let me give you just one stat before we leave. Yesterday when the Red, when the Indians scored the run in the bottom of the ninth to win the game one to nothing, that was their first walk-off win this year. That is amazing. Very first. Is. That, that's the way to. Hey, we'll be back next Monday night. Have a good week, Mark. Same to you, David. That's going to do it for the show tonight. Glad to have you along. As I said, I think this is one of our better shows throughout the year. I want to thank Mark Donahue and also our producer, Greg Mitchell, but most of all, our thanks to you tonight for listening. Don't forget, Thursday night, it's the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I'll be on at 7 o'clock. With that, here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids have won it. Bobby Thompson has done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on. Traps were talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. You hear me, okay? Especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.